All right, good morning. You look good. I'm impressed that you're here. It's a really cold day, first, first uh, Sunday of spring break. Thanks for being here. Um, this morning, we are continuing our series called The Life of Paul. We are now in Life of Paul, part 10. The title of this sermon is Iconium, and that's because that's what part of the story we're in. We're going to look at what Paul did when he showed up in Iconium and what his ministry was like in Iconium. For those of you who have not been here, I'm going to review a little bit to catch you up. Also, for those of you who have been here, I'm going to review for a little bit, and hopefully you remember where we were. Um, so this is the map that we have been using for, I think, I don't know, maybe two weeks or so. Um, can I have the map up here? Like when I say, this is the map, I imagine like, yeah. Okay, so, um, so this is the map that we've been using for a, a couple of weeks, and this is the part of the story where Paul is doing what is called his first missionary journey. And so it starts with Antioch. That's where he and Barnabas, his missionary partner, that's, what they, that's where they live. Like that's the town they pastor and that's the town they live in. And then God calls them on this missionary journey. So they go from Antioch to Seleucia. Seleucia is a port city. They get on a boat there and they take the boat out to this island, Cyprus. Um, they go to the uh, east side of the island, this port called Salamis, and then they work their way through the island of Cyprus, going from, I assume, village to village, going from synagogue to synagogue, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I say synagogue to synagogue, the reason they did that is Paul and Barnabas were both Jewish people, and they were showing up and telling their fellow Jewish brothers that the Messiah had come. The Messiah that they believed in from the Old Testament had shown up, and so they were going and preaching Jesus to the Jewish people first, usually, and then to the Gentiles after that. And so they went through the island of Cyprus and got all the way to the west side of the island to a city called Paphos. And in Paphos, there was an interesting encounter that we learned, I think it was two weeks ago, where there was this Jewish false prophet that was like opposing them and trying to get them to not share the gospel successfully with this Roman official named Sergius Paulus. And so uh, the apostle Paul uh, rebuked this Jewish false prophet and he um, was blinded right, temporarily blinded and walked away, someone holding him off, holding by the hand, and, the, and the, um, the Jewish official, I mean, the Roman official became a follower of Jesus Christ, and so it was this significant story that Luke wrote about in the book of Acts. Then, after that, they got on a boat, and they traveled up here to Perga, and then it seems like somewhere right around the time of Perga is where their assistant missionary, John Mark, abandoned them. That's what the blue arrow is for. He went back home. So John Mark was their assistant missionary. He was like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll go on this trip with you. And then it looks like not even halfway through the trip, he bails on them. So Paul and Barnabas continue to go on. They continue to go, just the two of them, and they go to Antioch and Pisidia. That is the town, and that was the story that we learned last week, right? It's called Antioch and Pisidia. It's different than the Antioch that they started at, right? The different city with the same name. And there they are, and they go into the synagogue there, as they usually do, and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what was unusual about last week's text, for those of you that were here, maybe you remember, is the words that they preached in the synagogue. Like what he said in his sermon, what Paul said in his sermon was part of the text last week. Like it says, this is what he said. And so we got to, got to see a glimpse of what he says when he goes into these synagogues and tells the people about Jesus. The initial reaction was pretty good, but eventually it did not go so well. And the people who were jealous of Paul and Barnabas ended up um, like getting all the movers and shakers in town on their side and kicking them out of town. And so that's how the story ended. And so last week, verse 51, this is one of the verses I read to you, it says, but they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. Do you remember that? They shook the dust off their feet and they moved on to the next city. And it says the next city that they moved on to was Iconium. So today we move on to the next city. When they got kicked out of this one, they traveled to Iconium. And that's the next spot. 
So today's sermon is going to be about Paul's adventures in Iconium. What happened while he was there? What ministry did he do in the next city? So if you have your Bible with you, you can go to Acts chapter 14. I'm going to read to you today's passage, which is just seven verses long, Acts 14, 1 through 7. All right. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. And there they kept evangelizing. So that's our passage for this morning. That's the story that we're going to learn. And for those of you that were here last week, you may have noticed this week's passage is much shorter than last week's passage. Did you catch that? Yeah, much shorter passage. And the main reason why this passage is so much shorter than last week's is because, in this case, Luke doesn't tell us all the words that Paul said when he was in the synagogue, right? Last week, we looked at the passage where it says he said this, and he talked about David, and he talked about Jesus, and he quoted from the Old Testament. This time, it just says, they entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So we don't have the words that he preached this time, making the whole passage much, much shorter. And as I said last week, I think what we're supposed to assume here is that the words that he said in Iconium were similar to what? The words that he had said last time, right? That the reason I think that Luke told us what Paul preached in Antioch of Pisidia is so that when he gets to tell us the rest of these stories where he goes in these synagogues and preaches... He doesn't have to tell us what he said. We're all going to go, oh, and we know the kind of thing he says when he shows up in a synagogue. We know because back in Antioch of Pisidia, he told us what he said. And so I think we are supposed to assume he gets to Iconium and he says the same kinds of things. And you'll notice he has the same kinds of reactions, right? If you look at this passage and you kind of just don't factor in the specific words, if you look at what happened in this city, the experience that Paul and Barnabas have in Iconium is quite similar to what happened in Antioch of Pisidia. And in fact, I wanted to put up a chart for you and talk about the similarities and the differences when you take this week's passage and you compare it to last week's. Okay? What was different about this city and what was the same about this city compared to what had just happened already in the story? So as far as the similarities go, the first similarity is that they preached in the synagogue. This is the same in both towns. When they went to Antioch of Pisidia, they went to the synagogue, they started telling the people about Jesus. That was their usual pattern. And when they get to Iconium, they do the same thing that they always did. They go into the synagogue, start telling the people about Jesus. The second similarity between this passage and the one before it is that the Jews and Gentiles reacted positively. If you remember from last week, some of the Jewish people reacted very positively to the message of Paul and Barnabas at first. Do you remember that last week? They showed up and they said, whoa, this should be a two-week series. There's got to be a part two. You need to come back next Sabbath and you need to explain more about this to us. And so the initial reaction from them was quite good. Um, and then also the Gentiles, the reaction there in, in, in Antioch was quite good. It says in last week's passage, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord. And so what you see is now they move on to the next town, and the initial reactions are very similar. It says, 
Um, they entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So that's very similar. And then the third similarity is, eventually, the Jewish people who did not believe, the ones that rejected their message, they stirred up people in the town to persecute Paul and Barnabas. That happened in both towns, right? That happened in both cities. When they're in Antioch of Pisidia, they go there, and the Jewish people that don't believe start to get really upset, and they get all the people, influential people in town, they go, let's kick them out of here. And then they go to Iconium, and you have a similar story. You have people that are trying to, it says the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles. You have the comment later on in the passage where it says that the, the town was divided, some people on the apostle side, some people on the Jewish people side. And so that's a similarity is after a little while, persecution came. Okay, so you might look at that and go, okay, why didn't we just skip this one, Mario? Like, why didn't you just go, and the same thing happened, and then just move to the next part, right? It just seems like it's the same story all over again. But it's not exactly the same story. There are some things that are different about what happened in Iconium as compared to what happened in Antioch. So I want to show you the differences. First difference is this phrase right here. Um, they stayed there for some time. This is something that is in our passage this week that was not in last week's. It says they stayed there for some time. So I'm thinking what that means is the amount of time that they camped out there in Iconium was longer than the amount of time they usually did. It was longer than the amount of time that they had spent in the city before. Okay? I mean, if you take it really literally, it means nothing, right? It says they stayed there for some time. Well, anytime you stay anywhere, you stay there for some time, right? I mean, so obviously it doesn't mean that. It's saying for a longer time than normal. So this could have been weeks, this could have been months, this could have been years. I'm thinking probably months is the best guess. Um, I don't think it would be as little as weeks. I don't think they stayed there for some time would mean just a few weeks because I would suspect they spent a few weeks in Antioch of Pisidia, the one that wasn't said that they stayed there for some time. The reason I think they spent a few weeks in Antioch is, well, first of all, there's however many days they had to wait until the Sabbath came. Then they preached on that Sabbath. Then they were invited back the next week, so we know there was another seven days, and then they preached at the second Sabbath. And then there's however much time it took for the people to go and get all the movers and shakers in town to kick them out of town. I would imagine they were in Antioch for a few weeks. So I'm thinking they're in um, Iconium for, for quite a bit longer than that, but probably not to the point of years. I don't think the timeline of the book of Acts allows them to have been in this town for like years and years. So probably several months they're camping out here in Iconium. So that's one difference. Here's another difference. In this case, the passage says, God granted them miraculous powers to confirm their message. That's something that's in this story. Did you catch it? That was something in this story that was not in the Antioch story. In the Antioch story, they just showed up, they talked about Jesus, they left. But in this story, it specifically says that they spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord. Listen, and it says, who testified to the message of his grace. So who's the one testifying here? The Lord. The Lord testified to his message of grace by doing what? By granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. So in this particular case, there they are, and they're doing signs and wonders. They're doing these incredible, miraculous things, which is probably a big part of the reason why there were some people who were embedded in these relational networks that would go like, I don't believe what these outsiders have to say. But then there were other people going, I believe what they have to say. They're doing miraculous things. Like they're here and they're saying they have this message from God and they're doing God stuff. And so that's what's going on in this passage, and that's different than the one before it. And it's weird that the way Luke describes it, I just thought this this week as I was reading it, he says that God testified to their message by granting signs and wonders. Luke doesn't say what they were. I mean, if, if there was something that was a sign, and these things were wonderful, you would think Luke would tell us 
what they were, right? These extraordinary, miraculous things happen. Why in the world is Luke not telling us? He just says it in passing like it's no big deal. When they went to Iconium, they preached the gospel, and they did miraculous stuff. Moving on. You know, and it's like, wait a minute, that, that's kind of huge. What did, they, what did they do? Luke doesn't say. Now, here's one thing that he might be doing. Remember how last week I told you he preached in Antioch? They, he gives us the words of what they said in Antioch of Pisidia, so we could kind of assume that's probably what he did the other places. I think that happens with these miracles too. There are times where supernatural things happen while Paul and Barnabas are on this journey. And there are times where Luke does give us the details. This is just one of the times he doesn't. This is one of the times where he says these signs and wonders happened. But there are other times where he says what they were. If you remember two towns before this one, um, when they were in Paphos, there was a sign and wonder, wasn't there? Right? There was the false prophet who was there and then Paul rebuked him and then he went blind right then and walked off. Like That's like, ooh, that's a sign. That's a a wondrous thing that shows them who was the one that was right and who was the one that was wrong. And as Luke continues to go and tell the story, there are other miraculous things that are going to happen as the story goes on, and he gives the details. Uh, Next week's story, okay, assuming we get to it, if the Lord wills, the, the very next paragraph where they go to the next city, the next city is Lystra, there's a man who's disabled, he's unable to walk, and they heal him, and he is able to walk. And so there are times where Luke does tell us what the miraculous things were, and I guess we should use those times and, and kind of keep them in our mind so that when we come to passages like this one, we go, I think I know the kinds of things that were going on back then. We know them from other cities. We know them from other accounts. So that's what we have. We have God grant them miraculous powers to confirm their message in this particular city. And then the third difference, and this is a big one, is this persecution in this particular city involved an attempt, attempt to kill them. So this is different than the one before. When they were in Antioch, the persecution they faced was ultimately like, get out of our town. In this case, it was, we're going to throw rocks at your head till you stop moving. Much more serious uh, persecution here, at least the attempt of it was. It gets even worse as the story goes on. But at this point, we have a persecution attempt to kill them. So they were, in leaving this town, it was different than the last one in that they were not expelled, they fled. In fact, look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, They found out about it, it being the plot to kill them. They found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns. They ran away. They fled to the next set of towns. So, here's the question that I want to ask this morning. In this story, were Paul and Barnabas courageous or were they scared? When you look at the story, were Paul and Barnabas courageous in this story or were they scared? Were they full of fear when you look at their behavior? Because after all, this story does end with them fleeing from it for their lives rather than sticking it out and remaining in the town. Were Paul and Barnabas courageous or were they scared in this story? And so what I wanted to tell you, I'm just going to give you my answer to the question. I believe that they were courageous. And what I want to do this morning is I want to prove to you that they were courageous from the text itself, not just my opinion and, oh, I bet they were. Like, I want to show you how this story presents them as courageous. The text that we're learning proves that they, they were courageous. Um, and then once we've established that they were, then we'll need to open up our minds to a conception of courage that includes fleeing from harm. Like, once we can, once we can verify, no, this, these people definitely were courageous like they should have been, Once we realize that, then we're going to have to come up with some version of courage in our mind that we go, that must be able to include running away. 
So, and, and I think that's important. The reason I want to focus on that, because I think that's not just something just in this passage. I think this is something you will see throughout the Bible, that there is a balance between we must not be fearful people who flee from everything that's uncomfortable to us. And at the same time, there is a time to run from danger in order to do God's will. And for us to see that those are both true, I think we need to see it in this story and throughout the scriptures. So let's go to our story and let's prove first, were they really courageous? Because the story ends with them running out of that town. Were they courageous? Yes. First, my first little piece of evidence I want to point out to you is from verse 1. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Look at it. It starts off with this. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue. That's first, step, that's, that's first piece that I know that they were courageous. Now you might go, I don't see any courage in that verse. So what? They entered a synagogue. Like my grandma enters synagogues all the time. Like not that courageous. What were they entering this synagogue to do, to tell the people about Jesus and announce the coming of the Messiah. What had just happened the last time they tried that? They were persecuted to the point that they got kicked out of the town. Like they had done this before. They showed up, they announced about Jesus, and then they got kicked out of town. So they went to the next town, and the same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue. They were courageous. How do you know? Because they had just gotten in trouble for it, and they went to the next town, and they did it again. And the same thing happened. Now look at verse 3. This is another place where you see that they were brave. Okay, verse 3. So they stayed there for some time and they spoke, what's the word? Boldly. So if we're going, hey, were they courageous? Yeah, the story pretty much says it, right? What was the manner in which they spoke to the people? Boldly, right? They were fearless in the way that they came and they shared with people. They spoke boldly when they stayed there. But what's interesting is not only does it flat out say they spoke boldly, not only does it say they stayed there from some time and spoke boldly, but what does it say before it says all that? What's the first word of the verse? So, you know, first service wasn't really good at that either, and it's weird to me because it's, it's just a two-letter word, and it's right here, and I'm literally pointing at it. <laughs> What's the first word of the verse? Yeah, okay, that's good. Most improved award goes to this service. All right. So they stayed there. Now, you're probably aware in English especially, and this is translated from Greek into English, but the word so is a connector word. You don't, just, when, you don't just start a sentence with so, if nothing was happening before that, right? Usually you say something and then you say, well, after you're done it, you say so, blah, 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 blah. In fact, I think the word that's translated so here could also be translated therefore. Maybe some of your Bibles even say, therefore, they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly. But once you realize that's there, you ask the question, well, what is it that happened before this? And maybe I'm interpreting it wrong. Maybe I'm not understanding what Luke meant. But it, it almost seems like he's saying they stayed there for some time and they spoke boldly, right? They did this courageous preaching for a while because of something that had happened just before this. What did verse 2 say? Let's go back to verse 2 and look at it. What was the sentence just before? The sentence just before was, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brother. So wait a minute. It seems like something bad is happening here, Right? They're, they're being gossiped about. They're being slandered about, right? There's, everyone's turning them against them. And then the next verse, in fact, let's put it together. We should read these verses together because they're literally found in your Bible together, back to back. The Jews refused to believe and stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So they stayed. Isn't that crazy? Things were going poorly. So they stayed and spoke boldly. So if I'm understanding this right, I, I, I think Luke maybe is saying something like they stayed because of the fact it was difficult. And if that's true, if I've got that right, that, that's courage. 
And then even if I'm wrong on that, my favorite part is the last verse. I want to read you the last two verses. These Verses 6 and 7 are my favorite part of this passage. Verse 6 says, They found out about it and fled, right? So are they scared? Well, yeah, I think probably in some sense they're scared. People are trying to kill them. People are literally trying to throw rocks at their head, and they want them dead. So yeah, I think that there was some level of fear or being scared. I bet you that when they ran from that town, I think they probably literally ran, probably the first four or five miles. That's what I would have done, right? I don't know if I can run four or five miles, but I'd run run until I fell over, okay? So I'm, I'm sure that they were scared in that sense. I'm sure there were some fears. They were running as fast as they could to not die. But then this is the thing I want you to catch. What happened... After they fled, according to the story, they fled to the Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. And there they kept, what? Evangelizing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So they ran for their lives. And they continued to preach the gospel that had just almost gotten them killed. I just want you to imagine if it were you. Just for a second, okay? Just imagine you go somewhere and you tell the people about Jesus and the reaction is that they kick you out of the town and you go to town number two and you tell those people about Jesus and somehow it goes worse and they try to murder you and so you leave that town and you go to town number three. Wouldn't you be tempted to shut up about Jesus for a while? Wouldn't you go, I think it's time for a break. Right? I think I need to stop talking about Jesus for a little while because this is the thing that keeps getting us in trouble. But the Holy Spirit had called them to this mission and they knew this is what God had called them to do, so they kept doing it. And so even though they were almost killed, they went to the next town and the very next verse is, and they kept evangelizing. They kept, you could translate it, they kept gospelizing. Okay, although that's not an English word. That's why they don't translate it that way. But that's what the word means. They kept good newsing the people, right? They kept telling the people about Jesus. So I would say with all confidence, yes, this is a story of boldness. This is a story of courage. This is a story of endurance during difficulty. And it assumes that there's a time to run away. In the midst of this story of great courage, it assumes there is also a time to run away. And this is something I think is throughout the Bible. And so I just want to pick a couple of places where you can see where the Bible takes these two things and treats them as if they can exist together, okay? Can it be that we are fearless and, and sometimes we run away? And I want you to see this is all throughout the scripture. I'm going to show you two places. One of the places I want to show you is the book of Proverbs. Um, I'm going to show you Proverbs chapter, I think it's 28 verse 1. And last year, we did a series on the book of Proverbs, and I really liked it. It was enjoyable to be able to preach through Proverbs. And I don't think we covered this verse. Um, and if we did... Well, actually, I'm going to show you two verses from Proverbs right now. I'm not sure if we covered either one of these verses, and if we did, I don't think we covered them together the way that I'm going to teach them to you right now. So this is bonus Proverbs stuff. Okay, so Proverbs 28, verse 1. Look at this proverb. It says, The wicked, what do they do? Flee. All right, that's important. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. Wicked people run away. They run away when? When nothing bad's even happening. The wicked people in this, in this proverb are scaredy cats, right? They are running. They are fleeing even when no one's chasing them. Even when the problem isn't even that big of a deal, they're scared. But the righteous, they're as bold as a lion. They're ready for whatever comes their way. Now, why are the righteous as bold as a lion? I think like as reading this kind of through New Testament eyes, we would say, 
Because they trust in God. And God will pr- protect them and preserve them for all of eternity. They have every reason to be bold. They know they're going to be okay forever. And if all we had were this one proverb, we would be like, okay, courage, courage, all the time, never run away. Don't flee, right? But then I want to show you another proverb. This is, this is in the same book, the Bible. It's even in the same book of the Bible. It's from Proverbs. It's literally from the same page, okay? So I just read to you from right there, and now I'm just going to read to you from right there. So this is not like some way other. This is just the same page of the Bible. And this is the second proverb I want to read to you, okay? So, that's, so I'm putting them on the same page. We just read, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Here's another proverb. The sensible see danger and take cover. The inexperienced keep going and are punished. Well, that's interesting. That's a different kind of proverb, isn't it? We're supposed to be bold as a lion, but here we have the sensible people see danger and they what? They take cover. They're, they're running away from the danger. The inexperienced people, they're going toward it, right? And the word sensible and inexperienced here are similar to like the words wise and foolish. And I think what this proverb is teaching us is basically you're supposed to picture two people that are walking along a road. I'm assuming they're walking along the road just because the word keep going. So like the, the, the wise man and the foolish man are going somewhere. All right? And then as they're going, there's danger up ahead. And the wise man sees the danger that's up ahead and goes, I'm not going there. Right? And he takes cover. The wise man takes cover when he sees the danger up ahead. But what does the foolish man do? He just keeps going right on into it and gets in trouble. That's what the passage means. And that's, that is wisdom, isn't it? That's good to know. But here's the thing. When you put them together, it's like, well, which... Come on, Mr. Proverbs, which one is it? Is it be bold as a lion? Or is it take cover when things are dangerous? Oh, Let's go to the words of Jesus now. I told you I want to show you two places. So here's the second place. That's Proverbs. Now I want to show you the words of Jesus Christ himself. And again, same page of the Bible. So this is Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read to you a verse from like right here. And then I'm going to read to you a verse from right over here. It's literally the same context. I think it's the same speech, like the same occasion. Jesus said something, and then a few sentences later said another thing. And I want you to look at the two things he said. First is Matthew 10, verse 23, the first part of it. Jesus said, when they persecute you in one town, escape to another. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're ministering from town to town, and he's predicting that persecutions are going to come. He's saying, like, people are not going to like you. There are going to be some people that are going to be against you because you're for me. So you're going to go around, and you're going to get persecuted. And when you get persecuted, what are you supposed to do? This is what Jesus told his disciples to do. When they persecute you in one town, escape. He doesn't say stick it out, doesn't say be bold as a lion. He says when they persecute you in one town, escape to another. That's what he told them to do. It's what Paul and Barnabas did, right? However, uh, one, two, three, four, like four or five paragraphs later, I think in the same occasion, he says these words, Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. So when he says, if anyone doesn't take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me, I'm pretty sure in that, in that day and age, like in that cultural context, they would have taken that to mean if someone isn't willing to die, if someone doesn't follow me to like a persecuting, torturous death. Like I think that's how they would... They would interpret, take up his cross and follow me. I know we don't. We, sometimes we say, sing that like joyfully, take up his cross. You know, like it's great. Like for them, a cross wasn't a piece of jewelry. It was an, a torture device, right? It was an execution device. 
So I mean, the jewelry thing, way later in history, that was not at this point. So when he's saying whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me, he's saying whoever doesn't get ready to be executed, right? To get ready to be persecuted. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. And if he's not talking about giving up your life, well, you can tell he is because look at the next verse. Anyone finding his life will lose it. And anyone losing his life because of me will find it. Anyone who's got his life and go, I found it, I'm hanging on to it, that person's going to really lose it for all of eternity. And yet the person who loses their life because of Jesus, they will find it. They will have life forever. But here's the question. Jesus, which one is it? Is it escape persecution? Or is it lose your life for Jesus? It's both. The gospel gives us the courage to lose our life, and it gives us the wisdom to preserve our life. Let me say that one more time. The gospel gives us the courage to be willing to lose our life, and it gives us the wisdom to preserve our life. And let me explain what I mean by that. First, when I say the gospel gives us courage, I mean when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, okay? That's the gospel, at least part of it. Died on the cross for our sins and rose again. That's the story, right? That's the good news. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, the dying on the cross for our sins was in our place so that our sins would be removed from us. So the gospel is that Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, his death on the cross is one in which it removes your sin from the equation. You are treated as if you're not a sinner. You're treated, you are credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when you die, there is not judgment for you. People who believe in Jesus, their sins have been paid for. They get eternal life. They do not go to hell. They are not judged for their sins. They are treated the way Jesus deserves to be treated for all of eternity. So, that's the, so the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Your sins have been removed. Jesus rose again from the grave. His death was undone. Your death will be undone too one day. He will make sure your death is undone. And eternal life is the consequence of the gospel. So if that's true, that God removes our sins and gives us eternal life, then the gospel gives us courage to value God's will on this earth more than our own life. Like if there's an eternal life to come, if there's a, I can live with God forever, I will be okay forever because my sins have been removed. If that's true, then I can do whatever God wants me to do on this earth and not, and, and not value my life more than whatever it is that he has for me. And that's true. And at the same time, God also, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, gives us his Holy Spirit, gives us the spirit of wisdom by which we can preserve our life so that we can continue to, to proclaim the gospel as long as we can. The gospel is not only what saves us, but it's the thing that saves everybody else. So we got to tell everybody else, and so part of the gospel is we now have the Holy Spirit and we have wisdom in which we can now navigate this world proclaiming the gospel to other people as many times as we can, for as long as we can, for as many years as we can get out of it. So I guess I'm saying different situations are going to call for different decisions, different situations are going to produce different outcomes, but, but we do not need to be fearful people, so cautious that we shrink back from God's will as if what he has promised about eternal life is not true. And we also do not need to be harmed or die unnecessarily, but rather should live for God and should serve God for as long as we can. 
Now, how can you know when? How can you know when the situation calls for one and not the other? And this is the thing. I think the key to that is just putting God first. You just put God first, and whatever happens, happens. That you do whatever it is he's called you to do. You obey everything he commands you to do, even if it hurts. However, in the midst of that obedience, you preserve yourself for him as best as you can. And that's what I think we see in this story. You look at Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, and you see these guys, Paul and Barnabas, are courageously committed to God's will, even when it's hard. And then when someone was trying to kill them, they ran. Right? Nothing to be ashamed of. They, they were try, they, people were trying to kill them, so they ran. And they ran to a new town where they did what? Where they continued to give their life to God and serve him. And so I guess in conclusion, I wanted to say these things. First of all, if you're here this morning and you are someone who's not a Christian, or maybe you're someone who's not a Christian yet, maybe you will be one day, or who knows, maybe you don't even know, right? But if you're somebody and you're, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, first of all, I'm glad you're here. Um, I don't know, I like you. I'm, like, I just, I'm proud of you. It's probably hard for some of you at least. You go, I don't even know. You don't, I mean, you didn't know. You don't know what kind of Christians we'd be. It might be super weird and freaky. You didn't know, but you came anyway. And so I just want to say, like, I respect you, and, and I just think it's awesome you're here, and you are always, always welcome here. But I was thinking about it, and I, and I thought of a couple of things. One is, it is possible that you may lack some courage in your life in places where you need it because you have no assurance that things will be okay after this life. There are t- I, 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 that makes sense to me. It is possible. I would say it's, it's very hard to give your life if you're not sure that you're going to be okay when it's done. That'd be really hard. And so for some of you, the courage you need really is available in the gospel. You need to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ as the truth of your life. And then there may be some of you here who are not Christians, and you do have courage, okay? You might go, what are you thinking? I know people that aren't Christians are all like, you know, pansy, not courageous. No, no, I'm not saying that. I think if you're here and not a Christian, you may be very courageous. I don't think courage is a uniquely Christian thing, okay? You may be here, and you may be an unbeliever, and you may be super courageous, okay? You may, I mean, you might not have a friend in the world that would call you cautious, okay? That is totally possible. But it, it is also possible that it's kind of like that misguided courage because you don't have eternal life to back it up. That you may be the person headed for danger, like courageously headed for eternal danger. And so you too need to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ as the truth of your life. And then for those of us that are here and we are Christians, we're believers in Jesus Christ, I say to you, hey, let us... In light of what Scripture says, let us be both. Let us be emboldened by God's promises and guided by His Spirit of wisdom. Let us be sensible people who take cover when things are dangerous and let us be righteous people, bold as lions. Let's pray. God, your word is amazing. Thank you for the privilege of being able to to have access to it. God, you are amazing. And you know everything, and you know everything at the same time, and you know everything about everybody in this room at the same time. 
And I think that you can apply your word to our life, and it might be differently, like it might look different in different people, but you can do all that at the same time while you're watching out over everything else that's happening in the world at this exact same time. And we worship you for that. But I pray for us in this room and, and, and all of us in our different situations. I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you and is often filled with fear, I pray that they would come to know you and you would remove the fear from their life and they would have an eternal protection that affects them even in this life. And so I pray those people would come to know you. And I pray for someone here um, who is not a believer in you and they got plenty of courage. Everybody calls them brave. Or bold or brash, whatever the word might be. <laughs> but their eternity is not secure. I pray they would feel the gravity of that situation and take cover in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would cause that. I pray for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. I pray for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, and maybe we are more brash, maybe we are the inexperienced people that run toward danger, and I pray you'd help us to be people who don't die or harm ourselves unnecessarily. I pray you'd help us to go like, no, Jesus said escape to the next town. And I also pray for those of us who are racked with fear, even though we believe in you. I pray you'd help us to truly believe we will be okay for all of eternity, and that should affect us right now in the way we live. May you help us to repent of anything that got ahead of you lately. And I pray we'd be bold as lions in the right way that we should. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.